0: Indeed, as I think about everything that you've done for me, I can't help but to pray that same prayer and to think, oh God, what would I not do for you? And so today, as we spend a few minutes opening up your word, we thank you for continuing to just pour your spirit into this house of prayer as we dialogue and kind of simmer and study in your presence. For we ask in the name of Jesus, amen. So when I was nine months old, my family moved from Puerto Rico, where my dad had been pastoring at the time, and we actually moved right here to Michigan, to Berrien Springs, where my dad was going to study here in the Theological Seminary to continue his education. But there was just a slight problem of sorts. The problem was that none of us spoke any English at all. So of course my dad began taking classes for the next year and a half so that he could finally pass the entrance exam so that he could begin seminary. But for kids, all of this stuff is really quite different, isn't it? I mean, you don't really have to study. In fact, for me, there's two primary ways that I learned English, both of them having to do with TV, I'll be honest with you. The first one was Sesame Street. I mean, this iconic, legendary show. I think most of us have seen Sesame Street. But the next one was one that's very near and dear to my heart. It was called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Okay, pop quiz time. How many of you have ever seen at least one episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Put your hands up in the air. Okay, so most of you in the audience here today have seen at least one episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Okay, in case you've never seen it, you're not attuned, let me tell you a little bit about it, okay? Fred Rogers was actually an ordained Presbyterian minister, and he began life as a pastor, his professional life. But he began to have a sense that he could make a contribution in the area of children's television. So he began doing some regional work in different stations in Philadelphia. But then in 1968, he received his network television debut. And it aired from 1968 all the way until 2001. And I'm going to be really honest with you. Fred Rogers was a really, really special man to me. Something about the way that he spoke right through the camera, I felt like he was speaking immediately and exactly to me. Really, really special. But if you guys have seen the show, you know that there's two things that would happen every single time. Two very specific things that would always happen. One of them, of course, is that he would sing a little song which he actually wrote. You can relax, I'm not going to sing it. But I am going to share the words so you can kind of be reminded of the song. Okay, so here's what he would sing as he would stroll on into the set and seemingly into this living room. He would say, he would sing, It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? And kind of the bridge. I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Such a beautiful little song. Doesn't it just bring all kinds of emotions to your heart when you hear it? Wow. He would sing that song, and then, of course, he would stroll over to the closet. Do you recall that? And what would he do? He'd open up the closet, he would grab a cardigan, which, by the way, his mom made every single cardigan that he wore on the show. Take off his jacket. Slip on his cardigan, zip it up, and then zip it down just a little bit. Oh, and he would sit down too, and he would swap his shoes out as well, and he'd put on some nice comfy tennis shoes, and then he would begin speaking right to you. Wow. So, so, so powerful, and I think for so many people, Just such a moving, moving show. I know for me, it was really, really special. But you know, I'd like to suggest to you today that Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and this nice little song, Won't You Be My Neighbor, I believe that it's more than just a nice little ditty, that it was more than just a nice little show. In fact, I believe that there's lots that Christians and churches could learn from that. In fact, that's why I'm really excited to announce today that we're beginning a brand new six-part summer series called God and Mr. Rogers, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Well, we're going to be asking basically the same exact question. Here's what we're going to do. Every single week, we're going to use the metaphor of a house, and we're going to look at different parts of a house, and we're going to see how they help to illustrate this idea of inviting other people to be our neighbor. So, for example, today I'm going to talk about the metaphor of a door. In the subsequent weeks, we're going to talk about the metaphor of a living room, and the metaphor of a kitchen, the metaphor of a backyard. And we're going to look at lots of different ways that those help us to understand how we can invite our neighbor. But first, I have to give you a warning. Is that okay? In just a few moments, I'm going to utter two words. Two words. When I say those two words, the heartbeat of many here is going to increase. I'm just warning you. When I utter these two words that I'm about to say in just a few moments, sweat is going to begin to appear in some of your palms. When I say these two words that I'm about to say, A glisten will appear in some of your your foreheads. Indeed, some of you will begin to squirm a little bit, and even some of you will actually be tempted to leave this morning. Have I warned you enough? Are you ready for the two words? Okay. Don't say I didn't warn you. Personal evangelism. Okay, what do you think about when you hear the words personal evangelism. It was my freshman year at college. I was actually studying at a public university in Jacksonville, Florida at the time, and I had just walked out of the grocery store, and that's when I saw him. He was standing in the middle of the parking lot, and I couldn't quite ascertain what his purpose was, but no matter, I was walking in the direction of my car. And that's when he saw me and he triangulated my direction and he began to make a B section to my car to, in order to meet me there. Whew. And I'm thinking to myself, what on earth does this guy want? Right? And I'm, I don't know what this guy wanted, but internally I'm beginning to posture up a little bit. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? Right. I'm beginning to posture up a little bit because I'm thinking to myself, something is about to go down, and I'm going to be ready. So here's exactly what I did. Honestly, this is what I did. I took my keys, and you, know, you can kind of make like a little dagger with keys, right? Just kind of grab them, and I don't know if the camera can grab that. I palmed the keys, and I readied it. And I covenanted with myself that if this guy got too close to me and made a move for me, I was simply going to insert it and jab it into his eye socket. No big deal. (laughs) And so I readied myself, keen hand, also so that I could get into my car quickly, of course, as well. But then all of a sudden he said something when he was just a few feet from me that completely disarmed me. He said, so are you a Christian? all of a sudden I relaxed because I realized he wasn't some kind of crazy criminal he was just an overzealous Christian and I said yes I, I am a Christian thanks for asking and I begin to try to make my way into my car but that's when he began spiritually vomiting this prepackaged thing that he had memorized and it's as if everything was happening in slow motion do you know what I'm talking about? And I'm looking at him as he's looking at me, and he's looking all wild-eyed and frenzied. His hair is all over the place, and he had this far-off distant look as if he was reading off of a screen. And every once in a while, he would, I would hear Romans 3.23 says this or some other scripture. I mean, he was on a mission, and he was going to give me everything that he had memorized, whether I liked it or not finally, when he finished speaking, I said, okay, well, well, thanks a lot. All right. And I got in my car and I pulled away as quickly as possible. Now, I imagine he went away quite satisfied with himself and he patted himself on the back and he went back to some youth group or some church group and he reported back that he had saved at least somebody today. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that what servant evangelism... Sorry, is, is this what evangelism is actually supposed to be about? Is this what relational evangelism is actually supposed to be about? I have some really good news for you. Today, I want to look at a scripture that gives us a model that Jesus actually used in his own life, so I think that means we're on pretty good, in a pretty good place, so I want to invite you to turn with me as we investigate this topic of evangelism, so turn with me to John chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 35, so John chapter 1, verse 35, as we begin to evaluate this topic of Relational or personal evangelism, as some people call it. John chapter 1, verse 35, and it reads Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now it says, The next day, the previous day, John the Baptist had seen Jesus. And he said this, this more complete sentence, if you will. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But all of a sudden, this next day, he sees Jesus again. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the uh, Behold the Lamb of God. And lots of people were impressed. Because there's something we need to know about John the Baptist today. And it's that the general consensus was that John the Baptist was a very powerful prophetic preacher i mean people would come out of the woodwork and gather in these throngs and groups and masses just in order to hear this baptist guy this guy to see him baptizing others and to hear him preaching repentance and calling people to repentance In fact, so powerful was he as a preacher that he even began to catch the ear but also the ire of the political class. Remember King Herod? I mean, whenever he spoke, whenever he preached, people would gather and people would listen. And I want you to note a certain spiritual reality about this. That people are supernaturally attracted to and curious about God's presence in you. Did you catch that? People are supernaturally attracted to and curious about God's presence in you. So here's John the Baptist who's been preaching for some time now and people are looking ahead of him and they're saying, well, wait a second. I mean, this guy seems to have God's presence in him. People are attracted to it. They're drawn to it. And all of a sudden on this particular day John the Baptist says this seemingly strange thing He says, behold the Lamb of God This is the first time that this kind of designation was given to Jesus and so here's these disciples of John the Baptist. They had been gathering about him. And all of a sudden, when John the Baptist said this the second time now on this subsequent day, all of these two disciples, they peel off of the side of John the Baptist. And literally, they begin following Jesus, who John the Baptist had just called the Lamb of God. Verse 37. It says the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. They're not claiming to be his disciples yet or anything like that, but they're just supernaturally attracted to and curious about God's presence. And so they've seen God's presence on John the Baptist and all of a sudden they see this Jesus guy they they say, whoa. God's presence is emanating all kinds of Off of this guy I know that he looks like He kind of comes from the poor working class But this guy Jesus Seems to have kind of this Royal dignity about him And he was just called The Lamb of God I, I don't fully know what that means They're thinking to themselves But they go in to investigate And so literally the Bible says They followed Jesus. Verse 38. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, What do you seek? Literally, (laughs) what do you want? At first glance this might seem surprising or perhaps even rude, but Jesus was actually confronting them. Let's not have any doubt about this. Jesus was confronting them as to their purpose. Because fast forward into the future, we have this little story in the book of Luke where this guy comes to Jesus, he says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Remember that? And how does Jesus respond? He says, look, keep in mind that, you know, foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So if you're thinking that I'm going to give you earthly riches, you've got another thing coming for you. This is where I sleep. So Jesus here confronts these two people, Andrew and John. He says, What do you want? What do you seek? Now notice this is very interesting interplay of words because Jesus asks, What do you seek? And they don't answer that question exactly. They answer whom they want, not what. Notice what they say. He said, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher, where are you staying? In other words, there's something going on with you, and we realize that here by the side of the road, we just do not have enough time to figure this out. Can we just kind of walk with you and hang with you for a while? Where are you staying? And I love the response of Jesus 39, he said to them, three words, what does he say? What does he say, church? Come and see. Now, notice, there is no controversy here. There's no coercion here. Jesus is not trying to convince them as to this edict of truth, if you will, that John the Baptist had just, had just said. He did not try to convince them there on the side of the road that I am the Lamb of God or anything like that. He didn't try to explain that. He simply said, for now, just, just come and see. Come and hang out with me. Verse 39, they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hours and most scholars agree that it was probably around 4 p.m. in the afternoon and they probably ended up spending the night with Jesus. So notice what happens. I mean, here there's these two disciples of John the Baptist. They have had this transformational experience with Jesus now. And remember that principle that we've been talking about that people are supernaturally attracted to and curious about God's presence inside of you. And so all of a sudden, after breakfast is over probably, they run out, and here's the question. What kind of evangelistic strategy is Andrew going to implement? Whose door is he going to knock on? What stranger is he going to try to seek out to share this good news with, if you will? Well we don't have to guess Notice who who Andrew went to seek after Verse 41 It says he first found His own What Come on church you gotta help me out His own brother Simon And said to him We have found the Messiah Which is translated the Christ Now notice what happens here so here is Andrew. He has this transformational experience with Jesus Christ. And remember that people are supernaturally attracted to and curious about God's presence inside of you. And he presents himself to Peter. He says, look, something happened to me, and I've got to tell somebody. I'm going to go to my brother. We also happen to be co-workers. He goes to Peter. And he presents himself to Peter and he gives this proclamation of truth. This proposition of truth, if you will. He said, We have found the Messiah. Now, I think we can probably perhaps infer here in the scripture, I mean, Peter is looking at Andrew. He's seeing the joy emanating from his face. He's saying, I know my brother, and something has happened to him. Take me to Jesus. Whoever did this to you, take me. I want to go. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. By the way, did you know that whenever the name of Andrew is mentioned in the Scripture, he gathered this reputation of always bringing people to Jesus? Whenever you find his name in the Scripture, it's always, in the, it's always mentioning, and Andrew brought this person to Jesus. Whoa. I mean, what if you, what if I could have that same reputation? That whenever your name, that whenever my name comes to people's mind, <laughs> there goes John, he's always bringing people to Jesus. There goes, goes, Pastor Sabine. she's always bringing people to Jesus. I mean, they can't help themselves, but they're always bringing people to Jesus. And oh, that it would be said of me. I mean, even on my tombstone, here's Rodley. He couldn't help himself but to bring people to Jesus. I'd be honored. And he brought people to Jesus. And Peter then has this transformational experience with Jesus. 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Because Jesus is going to replicate the process again. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, notice what happens here. Notice what happens here. Verse 45, Philip found, who did he go after? Did he go after some stranger at his first glance? No, he went after his friend, didn't he? It said, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, here's another proposition of truth, we have found him of whom Moses and the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So notice what's happening here. There's a proposition of truth that is made, and all of a sudden, you know, Nathanael recoils at the thought that the Messiah could come from Nazareth, right? I mean, his bigoted prejudicedness about Nazarene people, if you will, kind of stirred itself up. And he says, can anything good out of Nazareth, really? Now, notice what his friend Philip does. This would have been the perfect opportunity. Oh, man! I'm telling you, this would have been the perfect opportunity now for Philip to go into a nice, sweet theological debate, right? I mean, this would have been the perfect opportunity for Philip to say, "Well, I'll tell you what, Nathaniel." Pull out your your holy scriptures. Let me show you a thing or two. Apparently, you're not very schooled in the ways of uh, the Messiah. This would have been a great opportunity for him to outmaneuver him theologically and prove that he's wrong. Are you with me, church? But notice what he says. Notice what he does. Verse forty six. Nathaniel said to him, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" Philip said to him, "Come and see." I mean, apparently he had learned this from Jesus or something. I mean, he does the same exact thing that Jesus does. A prejudice is awakened in someone else. He says, "Look, the, the only way that this prejudice is going to be broken down is if they themselves come and have an experience with Jesus. Come and see." There's no controversy There's no coercion There's no, not even any trying to convince them just, just come Philip's thinking Nathaniel, if you will only but see Jesus And talk to him If you'll speak to him Even for just a few moments Oh, it's going to be so clear to you That he is in fact the Messiah Just come, come, come on just come and see. Now here's the question, because Nathaniel, of course, goes and he has this supernatural experience and this supernatural encounter with Jesus. Why do they say this? Why does Jesus say, "Come and see"? I think it's probably inferred in the scripture that Andrew probably said that to Peter as well. He probably said, "Come and see." I mean, why does Philip say this to Nathaniel, "Come and see"? I think it's really simple As Robert Coleman had said One living sermon is worth a hundred explanations You ever heard that saying that a picture is worth what? picture is worth a thousand words If someone can just see the thing You've got it all right there Because, you see, there's something about one living sermon is worth a 100 explanations. One testimony of one believer, if you can only speak to them and see them, okay, then you're going to begin to understand. So, guys, can I just give you, now that we've looked at that, can I give you a really simple definition for personal evangelism? Would that be okay? Here it is. It's investing... In a relationship for the sake of eternity. Can we say that together this morning? Personal evangelism is investing in a relationship for the sake of eternity. How about one more time? Investing in a relationship for the sake of eternity. It's me being willing to come outside of my comfort zone, perhaps, and to meet with someone. Preferably, I mean, it's, it's going to be a friend or a family member first. Now, there's two questions that I believe many of you have today based upon what we've just looked at. Some of you have two questions. Here's the first question that some of you have saying, well, okay, Rodley, I see how in those stories, how they first went out to their family member, how they first went out to their friend. But here's the question. And here's the little situation that some of you find yourselves in. You're saying, Rodley, what if I don't know anyone that does not know Jesus? Did you catch that? Here's the question, in your iPhone and your smartphone as you're scrolling through your contacts, how many of those people are unchurched people that do not yet know Jesus Christ that you could actually call a friend? Okay. Because the truth is that some of us Maybe, you know, we come to church on a week-by-week basis and we're so excited and, hey, praise God for the church, it's such a blessing, and and we, you know, we go to grow groups and we do all kinds of things and we're involved, you know, have great friends in church, but for some people, church people is the only kind of people you know. Guess what? That's a problem. Because if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to constantly be searching for someone to say that same exact thing. Just come and see. I know, I, know you have, I know you have questions. I know it doesn't make sense right now, but just look. Just, just come. Just come and see. Just come and see. Okay, let me read to you two quotes here. In the very family, is from Desire of Ages, in the very family, the neighborhood, the town where we live, there is work for us to do as missionaries for Christ. If we are Christians, this work will be our delight. No sooner is one converted than there is born within him a desire to make known to others what a precious friend he has found in Jesus. The quote continues. Now that Jesus has ascended to heaven, his disciples are his representatives among men. And one of the most effective ways, catch this, listen now church, if you're not listening, listen now. One of the most effective ways of winning souls to him is in exemplifying his what? His character in our daily life. Our influence upon others depends not so so much upon what we say as upon what we are. Men may combat and defy our logic. They may resist our appeals. But a life of disinterested love is an argument they cannot gainsay. Whoa. A consistent life characterized by the meekness of Christ is a power in the world. By the way, did you notice how it says a life of disinterested love? That means it's a love that keeps loving no matter what. It's a love that keeps serving even if the people do not respond. Because I'll confess, and let's be honest, sometimes as Christians and as churches, we say, all right, I'm going to love my neighbor for a little while if they'll come to my grow group. I'm going to love them and invite them, and I'm going to do stuff if they'll come to this church event that we have planned. But boy, if they do not come after one or two invitations, we kind of like, we kick the dust off of our heels and we wash our hands of them. We're like, forget it, I tried. No, no, no. This is saying disinterested love. Disinterested love. And by the way, why is this character thing so significant? Do you have any idea? It's pretty simple. It's because we are people's only reference point for God true i mean people will interpret based upon how you treat them what god is actually like and so if there's a christian that is showing disinterested love and people can tell that there's no angle there perhaps like you're just you're loving them for the sake of eternity even if they don't respond I'm saying wait a second could it be that this is what god is like Could it be that God can also loves me no matter what? Okay, last question that I know some of you have. You're saying, Rodley, okay, I hear what you're saying. We need to reach out to our friends and to our family members first. And by the way, this doesn't have to be a complicated thing. This whole personal evangelism thing doesn't have to be a complicated thing it's investing in a relationship for the sake of eternity. It can be as simple as inviting someone to a grow group that you think they might be interested in. It might be as simple as inviting your neighbor over to dinner. A lot of people don't know what Christians are like. A lot of people, they think, well, you know, we don't know what they're like, and in particular, people of this tribe and this particular church, right, they don't know what happens in church. And maybe if you invite them to dinner, they say, well, wait a second, they're a lot more like I am than I thought. So it doesn't have to be complicated. It's investing in a relationship for the sake of eternity. You can pray through and find ways to invest in relationships. Okay, so some of you are asking this final question. Say, all okay, I hear what you're saying. Okay, reach out to a friend, to a a family, to someone I have a relationship with. But is this where it ends? I mean, is that the whole process? Is that the whole deal? Let me read to you this quote. By the way, this is my whole philosophy of ministry, by the way, as a pastor. And I know it is for lots of Christians and lots of pastors as well. From Minister of Healing 143, notice what it says. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior did What? The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he did what? Then, after he had done all those other things, after he had built a relationship with them, after he had built trust with them, then it's like, hey, I mean, pe- people are already interested in being with Jesus. The prostitutes are hanging out with him. The, the drunkards are hanging out with him. <laughs> let's just keep walking together. Just follow, just, hey, let's just keep walking together. Just follow me. But can we just admit real quick that oftentimes in churches, we flip that whole process, though. Right? We do that last part first, and we wonder why evangelism doesn't work. We say, well, you know, I'm, I'm calling people, but people aren't making decisions, and could it be it's because we don't have a relationship with them at all? I want to invite you to pull out your Connect card. It's found inside your worship bulletin. It looks something like this. If you're a f- first-time guest with us here today, we're glad you're here. Every single week here at Pioneer, we encourage Everybody to take some kind of next step in their walk with God Doesn't matter if you're a first-time guest or a long-time member We believe there's some kind of next step that everyone can make So go ahead and put your contact info whatever you feel comfortable sharing on the front of that But then turn to the back of the card for just a moment There's a few next steps that I want to challenge you to and here's the first I would like to use the commitment booklet to begin praying for five Friends please reach into your worship bulletin and pull out something that looks like this. Looks like this. If you don't have one, we have one by all, the entra- by all the exits. And please listen closely now. I want every single person here today to have one of these as they walk out. Okay? So if you do not have a worship bulletin, that's okay. Just grab one of these on your way out. This is really simple, guys. This is a little tool that we want to give you. It's going to give you a couple tips on how you can do exactly what we've been talking about today, on how you can invest in a relationship for the sake of eternity. But here's the really important piece. Here's some names you can begin praying for. Let me give you a pop quiz. How many of you remember what is going to happen this October, beginning of the 14th of October? Okay, Trish, you got to work on that. I'm going to help you out. Okay, thank you very much. Some people saying it from the back. Thank you very much. This fall, we are going to have a large international evangelistic series. That simply means we're going to be calling people to make decisions for Jesus night by night. It's going to be big. And one of the unique things about this series is we're not calling people to gather in pews. We're calling people to gather in circles. What does that mean, Rodley? It means we're going to have a broadcast site. It's going to be at the Howard Performing Arts Center. But asking and inviting the majority of people to actually gather in your homes with your friends, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, because this will be a streamed event, and you can sit around your big screen in your living room and experience it in community, Did you catch that? We're calling them watch parties So we're inviting people to lead And to host watch parties But here's the really important piece guys Because some of you are acknowledging this morning To yourselves and to the Holy Spirit That you don't really know a lot of people That don't already go to church If that's you, here's what you need to do You need to pray Take this next week And fall on your face and diligently seek after God. And you might not even know the name of your neighbor. But I'm challenging you today, make a commitment that you're going to write down five names of people that you want to invite to a watch party. Did you catch that? Pray that God would give you five names of people that you could invite to a watch party. You can just put my next door neighbor two doors down. You might not know their name, that's okay. But you know what? You've got 16 weeks. We launched in 16 weeks. You have 16 weeks to find out what their name is and invite them to a grow group. Invite them over for dinner. And oh, could it be that God would open up an opportunity where you would feel comfortable enough? He goes, hey, there's this thing happening. I mean, you've already been in my home for dinner. By the way, in just a few weeks from now, or you can say, hey, by the way, two weeks from now, we're going to be having this little small group experience called hope training a crash course on how to live without fear if that sounds like something that might be inter- interesting to you hey come over so next steps the next one is i would like to lead a watch party you might not know what that means right now but it's kind of like leading a small group there's going to be a little bit of interaction we're going to give you resources we're going to give you a manual it's all spelled out in there what you need to do i would like to, ho- to host a watch party So one person is going to lead, another person is going to host. That's the person that says, you know what? I don't feel comfortable with leading this small group experience, if you will, but you can use my living room. I've got a living room you can use in my apartment or in my home. You can gather at my place. So that's what a host does. They provide the venue. Or there's another person. I would like to be a prayer coordinator for a watch party. Maybe you don't have a home that you want to open up, that you feel comfortable opening up. Maybe you don't feel comfortable leading a watch party, but maybe you could be a prayer coordinator. Basically, it's kind of a fancy name for saying the only thing that person does is while this, while hope training is happening and people are watching it on the big screen, the only thing this person is doing, they're praying for the guests that are in attendance. That's it. So if if you can, you don't even have to talk and say anything. If you can pray to Jesus... So you can pray to God. You can do that. So I want to pray with you now that God would call you to make some kind of commitment this morning as we try to practice and figure out what it means to invest in a relationship for the sake of eternity. Can we pray together? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you for every single person that's here today. Thank you for all those that are watching on the live stream as well. Lord, there's some big work that's going to be happening this October. And I just ask that you would use every single one of us to show that disinterested love to our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, to all those people around us, that we would learn to reach beyond our comfort zone And to say, you know what, let me begin to build a relationship here. So bless all those making decisions. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.